He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Luke chapter 10, verse 34. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word this morning, and that you would use my words to be true and useful in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We may sometimes forget because of the familiarity of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the role that it plays in the interaction Jesus is having, where he completely inverts the question that he's been asked, right? This man comes and says, um, who is my neighbor? He answers rightly the great commandment, but then says, but who is my neighbor? Trying to get off the hook, right? If I can say, these people over here are not my neighbor, well, then I'm not failing anything by not showing any love to them. So he's trying to get himself off the hook by, by discerning who is or isn't neighbor. And Jesus, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, turns the whole thing inside out. And it's not who is your neighbor over here, here, here. It's be a neighbor to whomever you encounter. It's a powerful inversion. Additionally, though, the parable assumes a daily context, which is different than our own, um, a pre-automobile context, which I actually um, powerfully, there were a number of things Obviously, Uganda is on our mind this Sunday. Um, there are a number of things about Uganda where it sort of made sense of things in the biblical world that didn't make sense until I saw it with my own eyes. One of the things was that there were just people everywhere. And at first, I said to one of the uh, priests who was my host, I said, well, it's not quite like this in the United States. There aren't just people everywhere. And then I realized, oh, wait, they are. They're just inside cars. Right? When you go to Target parking lot or the highway, whatever, there are people everywhere, but in Uganda, a few people have cars, but most everybody's on foot. And so just going about every day, you're bumping into a lot of your community every day. It's just part of the daily tasks. And in a context like that, then, it is very normal to just stumble on a need. Like, oh, hey, look, this person needs some help. In a way that we don't stumble upon needs as free, anywhere nearly as frequently anymore because we have cars to get us everywhere. So it's changed our context. So let me offer a sort of revised 21st century American retelling of the parable um, to make a, a point with a, with a ham fist. So imagine that someone was going um, from Auburn or Opelika um, to Montgomery on foot, uh, and they were going sort of the south of the interstate, so they're going through Tuskegee, and they get mugged in Tuskegee, a lot of crime you know, in that um, region. You don't have to sort of consciously avoid helping that person who got mugged. You're already on the interstate driving right by it, right? The priest and the Levi in the story. Um, by just virtue of living in the way our society is set up, we already have crossed over the road, not by, mal not by bad intent, not by a desire to avoid. It's just part of our structure. Right, structure and infrastructure together, we just don't bump into people in need very often anymore. Anything like it was like in the ancient world or in Uganda today. Bishop Paul has adopted nine children into his home as well as his seven biological children because he just stumbled on them and there was no near relative to help. He couldn't find anybody who would claim relative and they were hungry. And so he just ended up adopting these kids because he stumbled on them and had a good Samaritan's heart. 
So today, in our context, 21st century America, to honor what Jesus is saying in the Good Samaritan parable, we can't just rely on, well, when I stumble on someone, you know, then I'll remember to be a Good Samaritan. We actually have to go a little bit out of our way, a little bit off the beaten path with some intentionality to find someone who's mugged, literally or metaphorically. Right? We're not going to stumble across them by nature most of the time. Now, every now and again, and we've all maybe got one or two kind of crazy stories, but the Lord isn't asking us to do the right thing just the few times in life where something crazy happens. This is an ordinary picture of the Christian life. Charity must be intentional. And I think even more so in our sort of like high entertainment world, right, where we're sort of with constant sort of access of streaming entertainment and our phones in our hands, right? I mean, there's all these sort of sociology things where people are so distracted they don't even notice when they're literally walking by someone who's been mugged sometimes. So how? how? How do we be a neighbor? But how do we intentionally sort of get off the sort of beaten structural path we're on day to day to assist the neighbor who is in need, who is nearby, if we just don't see them? I think the problem is made even more acute that because of the information age, we're aware of so many needs, right? I know that you could just rattle off the top of your head a dozen humanitarian needs close by and far away, right? Whether it's headlines in the news, from you know, Tuskegee nearby to Tigray, Ethiopia. There's so many, like how do you even begin to know like, which is the neighbor that you're supposed to help? Um, experience uh, has led me to believe that God actually places specific, um, as it were, like SOS calls across our path. What I mean is, like, it's one thing to sort of stumble upon someone who's actively bleeding and, you, you know, okay, quick, 911, CPR, whatever. But then SOS call, think about sort of like a lighthouse and you kind of see on the horizon like a little flashing light. I think it's like dot, 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 dash, dash, dash. Anyways, but um, I'm looking at Lincoln. He would know the answer to that. Um, um, some signal that says, ah, help is needed over here. And so part of the Christian life is... It shouldn't be sort of this crushing, overwhelming, oh, no, there's a billion people that are my neighbor and are in need. It's what SOS signals are coming across your path and to pay attention to them. Because if you stick to your path, you'll just still keep driving along the interstate. But you think, oh, Lord, are you trying to tell me that I should be paying attention? And it might be something that comes up in conversation that you feel your heart moved by and to pay attention to that. It might be something you hear from um, some ministry that you, you listen to or read the books or I don't know what. There's an element here, and I know I'm on a tenuous sort of experiential ground, but there's an element of kind of just following your nose. Like, what do you find yourself drawn towards? Often, that might be recognized in the midst or in hindsight, the Lord himself drawing you to hail a certain SOS call. You can't help everybody, but what is the, the call that's being placed in your life? If it feels like something that is... Um, uh, no, actually, uh, what I thought was probably not true. <laughs> so I'm not going to say it. Um, so to pray and say, Lord, is it, do you want me to go out here and see what happens in your heart? Um, and you can even sort of test the spirits, you know, and say, Lord, if this is from you, would you enlarge the love in my heart for this call for need? Would you strengthen the conviction of your calling me to it? Uh, I read a quote this week I stumbled upon which is always an interesting phrase for a Christian to use because providentially stumbled upon. 
A quote from um, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the time of World War II, George Bell. In the midst of so much humanitarian need, he said, to despair of being able to do anything or refuse to do anything is to be guilty of infidelity. We are called to be a neighbor. You can't do nothing. So listen and pray for what SOS call might the Lord be calling you off to. Step two is then to act. To not just think good thoughts, you know, that sort of um, weak phrase that's thrown around in our culture. Oh, my thoughts are with you. Whatever that means, right? But to act. An act of charity for a fellow human being in real need whom God has called you off the beaten path to bless. Um, St. John, kind of the Holy Spirit speaking out of this, a similar theme as the Good Samaritan parable, says, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's 1 John 4.20. Right, so that's the logic of the great commandment, right? Love God and love neighbor. If you don't love the neighbor who you can see, how are you going to love God who you can't see? Right, we cultivate a habit of heart towards those whom we can see so that we have that same habit towards the unseen God, a habit of love. And love is, of course, as you know, more than empathic feelings or even kind words. I think in many cases, money is one of the most profound ways to show love. Now, there can be money given without love. That's a different story. But this is something we see in the scriptures. I don't think we've let Jesus' teaching sink enough into our hearts when he says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, right, where your money is, there your heart will be also. He's just describing the way we work as he's made us. Where your money is, that's where your heart's going to be. So if you're all, like the greater mass of your discretionary money is in something over here, that, that's where your heart's going to be. And if with your discretionary money, the Lord has led you to give charitably, right? We even connect that money between love and money. Then your heart's going to be there. The, those of you who've been praying about giving to Sebe, a portion of your heart is going to get tethered to this diocese you've not seen with your eyes. But we'll hopefully, maybe two summers from now, if you want to come with me again. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. St. John actually um, sharpens the point. This is 1 John 3.17. If anyone has the world's goods, and, how could, and very few of us can say that we don't in America. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I love how the Spirit phrased this through St. John too, that it's not definitively what God's love can't be abiding in him. It just means how can God's love abide in him? It's hard for God's love to abide in your heart if you are not moved with your goods to attend to the needs of others. This is what the Good Samaritan does in the parable. It's meaningful to the story that he gives wine and oil, which was, um, that's first century first aid, right? Oil softens a wound. Wine is antiseptic to it. He gives two denarii, roughly 300 bucks, um, he uses his own donkey for a while, like takes time out of his journey. Today, maybe he uses a car. And he promises to give more when he returns. He gives of his own substance. So um, today, obviously, this sermon is connected to our offering that we're collecting for Sebe. I believe the parable of the Good Samaritan should strengthen and inspire the desire to give to our brothers who are in need. And uh, to say, too, that this is the biggest giving project we've ever done as a church, but it's not the climax of all charity. It's what God's called. He kind of placed a specific SOS signal like into our laps 
through the vestry and my discerning that this is, uh, would be a good need uh, to give to. And, and it, in doing it, we're not saints. This isn't some like superhuman Christian activity. It's just what God's called us to do. Be a good Samaritan. Be a neighbor to one who has a real need. And we honor this commandment, but we would honor it if the Lord called us to it in any case. But we honor it because he modeled this very charity for us first, right? It says in the scriptures, we love because he first loved us. We practice neighborly help and giving because he first practiced neighborly help and giving. And many of the church fathers recognize so many parallels in the story of the Good Samaritan and the story of our own redemption by Christ Jesus, right? That so often sin and the effects of sin are described as a wound, that we've been damaged, we've been hurt and broken by the sins of others, beginning with Adam, and then our own sins, making the wounds more and worse. And the law, the priest, the, the Levite that would rescue us, uh, doesn't give us any rescue at all. And the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, represented by the priest, won't actually bind up the wounds of your sins. But then a good Samaritan comes, a picture of the true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, who comes and then attends to us, attends to our wounds. And I mean, how can we hear wine and not think about the blood of Christ? Right? Addresses the wounds with his own blood, the wounds of our soul with his own blood. And then carries us not just to an inn, but to his holy church and says, stay here. I'm going to come back and I'll provide for everything you need. What a picture. Right? We're still waiting for him to come back as we have lately remembered the ascension. We're waiting for him to come back from heaven. We're here in the inn. Our wounds and our needs are being taken care of by his own provision. All glory to him. We are neighbors because he, God, was first a neighbor to us. Amen.